4. Second book of the Bible, fourth chapter. If you need a Bible, we have some etcher on the front platform or out there right outside the door. You can grab one and follow along with us as we're going to cover a couple of chapters. Lord willing, tonight, Exodus chapter 4. Some of you have been asking about Jim, our worship leader, and he had surgery on his throat on Monday and had some polyps removed, or some growth there on his vocal cords, and uh, everything went fine as far as surgery. And so uh, he's got doctor's orders. He's not supposed to talk for a couple of days so he's not here because if he's here, he's going to want to talk. So, um, but we don't know how long uh, his recovery. And, um, the, you know, there seems to be confidence that he's going to recover and um, everything looks fine. But we want to continue to pray. They still need to, I guess, examine the growth and make sure it isn't anything uh, more than what they think it is. And, um, and then just pray for Jim that he'll recover. I don't know when he's going to be able to sing again. And, uh, but you know what, what we want is, is for him to be healthy, don't we? And that's the main thing. And, um, so we just continue to pray for him and lift him up in prayer. And he really appreciates you guys doing that. He knows that you are praying for him. And, um, so, um, just a little update on that. So we appreciate Pat. He's been filling in and helping out and Pat's been with us as longer than Jim. So we are so blessed with the people that we have to help us lead us into worshiping of the Lord. Um, everything else is in your bulletin, so take a look at that. And um, so, um, and then get your things coming up, and Monday, Sunday anyway. Sunday, 8.30, 10.30, uh, we'll be in Matthew's Gospel, so um, come and join us on Sunday. Father, we do ask that you would just, again, bless this time in the study of your word, and, and Lord, we look forward to what you have to say to us. We thank you for that surgery went well with Jim, and we pray, Lord, for complete healing on him. And we just pray that you would just uh, continue uh, to minister to those who have been sick. We thank you that Doug's here, and he's out in the hospital, and, and Lord, that, um, that he's with us. And, and um, Lord, others that uh, perhaps couldn't be here tonight, we pray you minister to them and uh, touch them. But Lord, minister to our hearts right now, in Jesus' name. Amen. As we've been going through the last couple of weeks and, and just starting the book of Exodus, again, I want to remind you that it's just a continuation of the book of Genesis. As Genesis ends with Jacob and his family coming into Egypt, and of course, all the events that led up to Joseph being the prime minister there in Egypt uh, during the days of famine, he would actually be the one that would save Egypt from uh, starving during that famine, and also those uh, that were in Canaan that would come from Jacob. Jacob's family, as uh, Joseph would have uh, Jacob and his, his other sons come. And there were 70 in all that they would come into Egypt, and they were given the best of the land there. And so that Pharaoh at that time that, that uh, he was there living during the days of Joseph, he treated uh, Jacob and his family very well. But Jacob was told in chapter 46 of Genesis that, Jacob, you're going to go to Egypt, I'll be with you there, and, and there you're going to be a mighty nation, and I'll bring your descendants back into the land. And so Abraham was told that they were going to be there, strangers in a land for 400 years where they're going to be afflicted. And so that time gap between the end of Genesis where Joseph passes on and, and Jacob, of course, he had blessed his sons and he uh, passed on as well. It's about 300 years. And so all of a sudden, another Pharaoh obviously is on the scene and he looks out and he sees the children of Israel that they're multiplying greatly. And he's very concerned about that. All of a sudden he sees there's about two to three million people of them. 
And so he comes up with a plan. He knows that he, he, he is going to uh, try to uh, stop the population growth, and so uh, he puts them in the slave labor. He's concerned that if the enemies attack, that the children of Israel will join in with the enemies and overthrow Egypt. Now, Egypt at this time is the most powerful empire on the face of the earth, uh, 1,500 years uh, you know, uh, before the birth of Christ. This is 1,500 B.C., and they're at the zenith of their power and, and, and prestige and uh, their wealth. The, the wealth of Egypt is well known uh, even today as you historians talk about it and, um, and evidence of how wealthy this empire really was. But they had enemies, and so they didn't want the children of Israel overthrowing them and helping their enemies. And so they put them in slave labor, and then it was Pharaoh that made that decree that all the male children should be thrown into the Nile River and drowned. And so as we moved into chapter 2, we saw the birth of Moses as he was born to Amram and then also Jochebed, his mother. And she had hid him for three months, and, and she knew she couldn't hide him much longer. So she made a little ark, floating him down the Nile River where Pharaoh's daughter would find him and have compassion for him. And so Jochebed, Moses' mother, would nurse him and, and minister to, to Moses and take care of him until the time where she had to hand him over to Pharaoh's daughter. And so we know that according to Scripture that Moses' life is divided up into three 40-year periods. The first 40-year period, he was raised in Pharaoh's palace. And Hebrews chapter 11 says that when Moses came of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh, and he went out to suffer affliction with his people, the children of Israel, and he refused to be involved with the passing uh, pleasure of sin, is what Hebrews says but rather he esteemed the riches of Christ even greater. And that really is a remarkable thing when we look at the life of Moses, that Josephus, the historian, recorded that he was next to be in line to be Pharaoh. We know that in Stephen's account of Acts chapter 7, speaking of Moses in his life, that he said that Moses was mighty in works and in deeds. And so Moses was mighty in the words that he spoke. He was learned in all the wisdom of Egypt, the scripture tells us. He was in line to be the most powerful man on the face of the earth, the most wealthy man on the face of the earth. But yet he said no. And he went out to suffer affliction with his people. And that's an amazing thing. We talked about how I'm sure his parents and Jochebed, when she, he was a little infant, was nursing him, that she was praying for him and continued to pray for him, even when she had to hand him over to Pharaoh's daughter and, and continue to, to lift him up in prayer and how important that ministry for parents that we are to our children to pray for them. And so Moses would say no to Pharaoh. And it reminds me of what Jesus said, that what good is it if you gain the whole world but let yet lose your own soul. And Moses literally had the whole world that he could have had. But he said no. Now, an interesting insight. Then we see the, the, uh, at the uh, end of that 40 years as Moses went out into, uh, to be with his people that he thought that they would see him as the deliverer as we saw in chapter 2. Acts chapter 7, verse 25, gives us insight to that. It was Stephen that said that, that Moses thought that the children of Israel would understand that he was their deliverer. So Moses, you know, here he is. He, he was mighty in words and mighty in deeds. He was 
in line to be the next Pharaoh. He goes out to be with his people. He thought, surely they're going to receive me as judge, as the leader, to be their deliverer. And so he sees an Egyptian that is there whipping on a, a Hebrew slave. And so he kills the Egyptian and buries him. The next day, he sees two Hebrews that are fighting. He breaks up the fight. And one of them says, who made you a prince over us? And are you going to kill me like you did that Egyptian? So Moses knew that he was in big trouble, didn't he? And so he flees to Midian, where we see the next 40 years of Moses' life. He's out there on the backside of the desert, and he's herding sheep. As Of course, he would go to Midian, as we saw. He would marry uh, uh, Jethro's daughter, Zipporah. He would have a son, Gershom, which means, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. And we see that Moses, for the next 40 years, until the time he's about 80 years of age, that in chapter 3, that he would talk to God at the burning bush. He would go to see that site. The bush was on fire, but not consumed. And there the Lord spoke to Moses and said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I know my covenant with my people. I'm going to keep my covenant. And I have heard, and I have seen, and I know the affliction and the bondage that they are in. And I want to remind you guys, again, at this time in our study, that perhaps you come in here and maybe it's been a difficult week. Maybe it's been a difficult you know, period of time that you've gone through where it's been hard and, and maybe you feel like that you're in a desert and it's hot and barren spiritually. But the Lord sees and he hears and he knows. He knows what it is that you're going through. And as you cry out to him, he hears you. And he, he knows the things that, and sees the things that you're going through. So don't feel alone because the Lord says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And so Moses, I am who I am. That's my name. You tell the children of Israel that I am has sent you. And so it was Moses, as we saw in chapter 3, he said, but who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? It was 40 years previously, as we saw in chapter 2, that it was Moses trying to do things out of the flesh. Hey, they'll receive me as the deliverer. They'll understand that I'm the one that has the power to do it. I know how Pharaoh thinks. I know the wisdom of Egypt. I'll lead them out of this bondage. And they said no. He was trying to do things out of the flesh. And it took 40 years to get Egypt out of Moses to where he says to the Lord, Who am I? Because Moses is going to learn. That it's not about you, Moses. It's about me, the Lord says. I am who I am. I am everything that you need. And when we get in a few chapters from now, we're going to see in chapter 6 that the Lord said, I will deliver my people. I will have you leave Egypt. I will deal with Pharaoh. I will bring you into the land. He was everything that they needed. He was their, their salvation, their redemption. He was the one that was going to free them. And so, Moses, it isn't who you are. You're going to be an instrument that is going to be used of me. But it's about me, who I am. And you're going to see that I'm going to work on your behalf. And Pharaoh's going to understand who it is that I am. And that is that I am the true and the living God. And so, here was God ministering to Moses. Now, Moses began to make excuses. And those excuses continue as we move into chapter 4. But we see that it was uh, Moses that was told that I'm going to drive out the inhabitants. I'm going to bring you into uh, the land flowing with milk and honey. When you leave, you're going to take the spoils as we end at chapter 3. And so chapter 4 now, then Moses answered and said, But suppose that they do not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they said the Lord has not appeared to you. So Moses continues with 
hear the excuses. Suppose they do not believe me. They don't listen to my voice. Now, again, in the previous chapter, he was saying, who am I that I should go? But here we're seeing that God's going to be ministering to Moses, that Moses, I'm going to do that work by my mighty hand, by my power. You will be the voice. I will tell you what to say. I will tell you what to do. You just follow me and be faithful. But as I think about this here in verse 1, is he's saying, what if they, you know, suppose that they don't believe me, suppose this doesn't happen, and all these excuses. How many times can we do that? When God tells us to go and speak the truth of his word to somebody perhaps, uh, the gospel message to somebody, and we know that, Lord, you've been telling me by your spirit to go and talk to this individual, talk to this neighbor, talk to this coworker. but we can come up with the same excuse. What if they don't believe me? Suppose they, they say, oh, God didn't really say that, or whatever. How many times have we stopped and not done what God has called us to do and speak to somebody because we can have the same excuse? And I pray that we would be sensitive to the leading of the Lord, that when he says, I want you to to speak to this person, I want you to give this person the truth of my word, that we wouldn't say, well, suppose they don't believe me. Maybe they won't. Maybe they won't receive. But you just be obedient to what God has called you to do. He'll take care of the results. And so here Moses is, is saying, they, they may not believe me. So the Lord said to him in verse 2, what is in your hand? And he said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from it. And then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So what's in your hand, Moses? And, of course, what was in his hand was a shepherd's staff it wasn't a scepter that was in Moses royal hand any longer he left that but the last 40 years on the backside of the desert hurting not even his own sheep but his father-in-law's sheep so he has that shepherd's rod he says it's a rod that's in my hand because he was a shepherd you know it reminds me of what we're going to look at as we continue in Matthew's gospel next Sunday. We saw the baptism of Jesus. He's going to be driven out in chapter 4 of Matthew into the Judean wilderness. And he's going to be tempted of Satan. After that, he'll go up into the Galilee region, begin his ministry there. He's going to begin to call his disciples. And he calls, first of all, Andrew and Peter, who were brothers, who were there casting their nets. The next pair of brothers that he calls, according to Matthew, was James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and they were mending their nets. What was in their hands? It was the nets that they were mending and they were casting. I think it gives us a little bit of insight what it is that their ministries were about because you see Peter and Andrew, they were really into evangelism as you look at their lives. Of course, Peter would stand up on the day of Pentecost and he would preach and 3,000 got saved, quite a haul. And the Lord said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. John and, and James, their, their ministry seemed to be mending. And John was the apostle of love. We'll talk more about it on Sunday morning. But the question to you is, what is in your hand? What's in your hand that the Lord desires to use? And you see, he's showing Moses as he tells Moses, throw down that staff and it became a snake and And then Moses would pick it back up. But the Lord may be saying to you tonight, what's in your hand? It was the 
fishermen there. They were at the Sea of Galilee, and some of the disciples, several of them, were fishermen. And they had nets in their hands. They were untrained. They were uneducated. Moses here, he, he was been herding sheep for the last 40 years. And he's saying, who am I? He's going to say, I'm slow of speech to go to Pharaoh, the most powerful man on the face of the earth. But you see, God chooses the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God chooses the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. So what's in your hand? Maybe it's in your hand a Bible. As you've been coming and you've been learning the scriptures and growing in God's word. And in your hand, yes, you've been going through devotions yourself. And maybe you're going to use that to disciple others. To to maybe lead a small group. Maybe do a Bible study at work. Maybe what's in your hand is a guitar where you can help in doing worship for the children or for the youth or wherever it might be. Again, a small group. Maybe that's in your hand is, is that in your hand a book where you can read to the children that are in the children's ministry or that's in the nursery. Maybe what's in your hand is you have the abilities and talents to fix things, to clean things, to to do yard work. That's your talents. That's what you enjoy doing. So the Lord may be asking you what's in your hand because I want you to cast it down. And I want you to give it to me and let me do the work that I want to do through you and in you. And so here Moses, he throws it down and turns to a snake. must have been a big snake because it says here that he fled from the snake. But if Moses is anything like me, I hate snakes. I don't like snakes. And anytime I see a little snake, I don't like it. And so we have to be careful in this part of the country. Of course, we have snakes. Matter of fact, I was out running, uh, taking a little jog with my daughter Barbara, and we were doing a little jog and, and going through the open space that's near our house and on the path. And I told her, I said, Barbara, and you got to be careful this time of year. Sometimes snakes will come out of the brush and on the pathway. And she's like, ah, don't tell me that, Dad, and, you know, and all of this. But we have to be careful when we go out hiking and there's rattlesnakes around this area. But I don't like snakes. I don't like them, never have liked snakes. But one of the things here that Moses does, which is interesting, the Lord said, pick up this, that snake now by the tail. And there's one thing that we know. You don't pick up a snake by the tail, do you? So it took Moses some faith to do this. And he was being, beginning to learn to be obedient to what God is telling them to do and trust in him. So that's what Moses does. And so we see that he reaches out. He takes it by the tail. And it turns back into uh, the rod once again. That they may believe again, verse 5, that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. And verse 6, furthermore, the Lord said to him, now put your hand in your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And he said, put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out in his bosom. And behold, it was restored like the other flesh. And so we see here that a second sign that God gives to Moses to show him that he was with him. Moses His hand was made leprous, and then it was made whole again. So Moses is beginning to see the power of God, and he's going to understand that God is going to be working his power that's going to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt into the wilderness, and um, he's going to continue throughout his 40 years of ministry to see the powerful hand of God. And so in verse 8, then it will be if they do not believe you, nor 
heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And it shall be that if they do not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river and pour it on the dry land. And the water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. And so we see here that if they don't believe the first two signs, there's the third sign, and the water's going to turn into blood. And, of course, we're going to see that the second plague here in a few chapters is going to be turning the Nile River into blood. And so we uh, continue as God is ministering to Moses, trying to get Moses that, Moses, the focus isn't on you. The focus is on me and what I am going to do, my mighty hand, the signs that I'm going to perform. And so in verse 10, Moses comes up with another excuse. Then Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since have you spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. And so the Lord said to him in verse 11, Who has made man's mouth, or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. So Moses says, Well, okay, you can work these signs, but you know what? I'm slow of speech. And there's a debate among those who are scholars whether Moses is referring to that perhaps he had a little bit of a stuttering problem. But, you know, again, in Acts chapter 7, when we see Stephen's account of, of Moses' life, Stephen said that he was mighty in words and mighty in deeds. So we don't know exactly what Moses says here. You've got to remember, the last 40 years he's been on the backside of the desert, probably just talking to bushes and to sheep for most of the time. But he says, I'm slow of speech. You know, I can't go to Pharaoh. I'm not eloquent of speech. I, I, I you know, I, I don't have persuasive words to speak. Perhaps that's what he's referring to. But you know what? I think that this should encourage us. Because how many times when the Lord does want us to go and speak to somebody that we say, ah, I'm not very eloquent. I'm kind of slow of speech. I, I don't have fancy words to say. Paul, when he came to the Corinthian church, when he wrote his first letter to them, he, he talked about the first time that he came to them. He said, when I first came to you, I came in fear and much trembling. He had just come from, from Athens, that city, as we read from the book of Acts, and there he was on Mars Hill, and he's there given this, this wonderful presentation to the philosophers that were there in Athens, this sophisticated city, wasn't it? That's where the philosophers would hang out and come up with new thoughts and speak very eloquently. And Paul, he was a scholar. He can hang with the best of them. He could debate with the best of them. And he gave this, this, this presentation there that you read there in the book of Acts at the end of chapter 17. And we see that a few people believed, and he spoke to them, and it was a very, very good presentation that, that he gave to them as he was talking to them about the true and the living God that created everything. But there wasn't really anything that happened in Athens at that time. And so he goes about 50 miles to the city of Corinth down south. And he talks about, yeah, when I did come to you, I came in much fear and trembling. It was a very difficult missionary journey that Paul had been on. And he goes on and he talks about that when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with excellence of speech. I didn't come with persuasive words, but in a demonstration of the spirit and of power. I didn't come in man's wisdom. But I came preaching nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. So can I encourage you tonight? When you feel like that, you know, I don't have elegant words or, you know, I'm not 
you know, uh, a great oratory speaker or whatever it might be. I'm slow speech. You just preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And you allow the Lord to speak through you and you speak the truth of God's Word because His Word will not return void. I don't know about you, but this brings me great encouragement. Because I know for me, there have been so many times where I said, Lord, you know what? I can't be a teacher. I can't teach God's Word. Because I'm slow of speech. I stutter and stammer. And I can't believe that after 12 years now that people still come and listen. But you see, again, it isn't about me. It's about the Lord and His Word and the Word doing a work. And He's the one that draws the people in and He's the one that's bringing them and the Word of God is doing that work in your heart. And so we are made strong by Him. And, and Paul, again, to the Corinthian church in his second letter to them, he was dealing with them and he says, I didn't come in excellence of speech again to them. And so some wonder if Paul even had a little bit of a stuttering problem. And so the super apostles, who were again great in, in oratory skills and all that, would make fun of Paul. They would put Paul down. And so the Corinthian church and those guys that were into all that were beginning to, to kind of buy into, yeah, you know what, Paul, he, he isn't an excellent oratory you know, kind of speaker and things like that. And it's amazing that in the church today, the emphasis is on, you know, come and learn how you can be a great speaker and use certain words and all of this. I come to you preaching nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I come to you not with excellence of speech or persuasive words in the wisdom of the world. But I pray that every time that I sit in this chair on Wednesday night or behind the pulpit on Sunday morning, that I come in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Because it's not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Moses, I am going to be the one that's going to give you the words to speak. I'll be with your mouth. And so Moses here trying to get out of what the Lord wants him to do. And so in verse 13, and he said, Oh, Lord, please send by the hand of whoever else you may send. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, It's not Aaron the Levite, your brother. I know he can speak well. And look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. And so we see here that Moses finally says, Lord, just get somebody else to do it. (laughs) I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And it says that the anger of the Lord was kindled. You see, here's the thing. There's a difference between being unable and feeling unable and inadequate in what God is calling you to do and being unwilling. And Moses here right now is being unwilling. He's saying, I'm unable. Who am I to go? I'm a nobody. What if they don't believe me that you sent me? I'm slow of speech. I don't have persuasive words. I can't go to Pharaoh. I mean, this guy is powerful. And so he's been talking about how he is unable, and the Lord's been ministering to him, Moses, I'll work through you powerful signs. Moses, they'll believe that I sent you. Moses, I'll be your mouthpiece. I'm going to send Aaron to be the one that's going to speak for you. But Moses just says, I don't want to go. He's unwilling. And that's where the anger of the Lord was kindled because he's making excuses and saying that I'm unable to go or unwilling to go, that is. So what's in your hand? And What's the Lord been putting on your heart? 
Who's he been putting on your heart to speak to? Or perhaps in your hands, he wants you to fold your hands in prayer and be praying for the people. Maybe ministering in a certain area or in a certain way. What's in your hands? But now you're saying that I'm unwilling. I don't want to do it. And I pray that you would be open to the Lord and what he's calling you to do, that you would realize that he's going to work through you because he does chooses the foolish things and the weak things of the world and the things that are not to bring to naught, the things that are, that no man will glory in his presence. Being confident of this very thing, as Paul would write to the church of Philippi, that he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion. He'll complete that work in you. It is him that works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. But I pray that none of us would say, you know what, I'm unwilling to do it, Lord. I'm not going to do it. You know what, God's doing wonderful things here at Calvary Chapel. And there are opportunities to minister and and this isn't a, a, a guilt trip to put on anyone or, or pressure to get you to serve. But I want you to be honest in evaluating your heart and presenting your heart to the Lord. There are so many children that have been coming as we need help with children's ministry. And in the nursery, and we've provided and, and gave you information on those needs. In the bookstore, and in the coffee shop, and cleaning, all those areas. What has the Lord put into your hand for you to get involved? For you to be a part of the body of Christ and ministering and, and, and being an encouragement and edifying and uplifting others and helping out in practical ways. It might be just helping in making meals for somebody. It might be and just reaching out to others in very simple ways where God has you plan it. But I pray that we would never come to the point where we say, I am unwilling. I just don't want to serve the Lord. I'm not interested. So Moses, you're to go. In verse 15, now you shall speak to him, talking about, and put the words in his mouth, that is Aaron his brother, and I will be your mouth, and with his mouth I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people, and he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God. And you shall take this rod in your hand, which you shall do uh, the signs. And so verse 18, so Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. So we see that he goes back to his father-in-law. He says, Jethro, I need to, to go back to return to Egypt to see if you know, my brethren are still alive. What Moses is doing is he asking uh, for you know, his father-in-law's blessing. He's being sensitive to him. He's worked for him for 40 years, been a part of his life, herding his sheep. And so Jethro gives him his blessing and says, you need to go. In verse 19, now the Lord said to Moses and Midian, go return to Egypt for all the men who sought your life are dead. Then Moses took his wife and his sons, plural, and set them on a donkey. And he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. Did you catch that? It's no longer the rod of Moses. It's the rod of God. And as you take what God has gifted you in, in talents and abilities, the time that you have, the first fruits that you present to him, it becomes that instrument that he uses and works through. This is now the rod of God that he's going to use in ministering and bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt. And so verse 21, And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you 
do all those wonders before Pharaoh which I have put in your hand. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. And then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord Israel, my son, my firstborn. And so I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. Interesting here. It's the Lord that's letting Moses in on what's going to happen here. What's going to unfold in Egypt? And he's going to continue to do this. You know what, Moses? You're not going to be successful right away. You and Aaron are not going to walk out of the desert here, walk up to Pharaoh and say, Thus says the Lord, let my people go. And he's going to say, Okay, you can go. But I'm going to harden his heart. Now, here's the thing. The debate comes, did God harden Pharaoh's heart or did Pharaoh harden his heart? We see in both cases... One is, is that Pharaoh is, we're going to see Moses is going to go to Pharaoh that it says over and over again that Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then it says that God hardened his heart. So I believe here that he's speaking prophetically. I don't believe that God hardened Pharaoh's heart against Pharaoh's will. Pharaoh is not going to show any signs that he has the fear of the God of Israel, that he desires to heed the voice of of God in letting the people go, that he continues to not blink. He's going to continue to harden his heart, harden his heart, harden his heart, and then God's going to confirm it by hardening his heart. So it isn't that Pharaoh wanted to do well, but then God hardened his heart. So Pharaoh, is, his heart's going to be hardened by the Lord, but he's going to harden his heart over and over again before that happens. And so he says, and here's the interesting thing, you go and tell Pharaoh that Israel is my son, my firstborn, verse 22. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me, but if you refuse to let him go, indeed I will kill your son, your firstborn. This is a warning here. And God refers to Israel as his firstborn, and he warns Pharaoh, if you don't let my son go, then your firstborn is going to die. God is letting Pharaoh know how he sees his people, how valuable they are. You cannot, Pharaoh, just keep them in bondage and afflicting them and killing the male children and throwing them in the river. This is my son, and you better let him go. I'm going to kill your firstborn. It reminds me how God sees us. We are his sons and daughters. And those of us who believe on the name of Jesus in, first, in John's Gospel, chapter 1, he gives us the power to become the children of God. That we are joint heirs with Christ. We are sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. And so that relationship that we have with the Father now through Jesus Christ, we can call out Abba, Father, which means Daddy, because we have relationship with him. And as we went through the book of Revelation not long ago, as we went through those chapters, chapters 6 through 18, where God was pouring out his wrath on a Christ-rejected world, God is serious about bringing judgment against those who reject him and come against his people. God desires that none should perish, that all should come into repentance. But the time is going to come when judgment is going to come. So Pharaoh, let the people go. God knows what's going to happen. You tell him that if he doesn't let my son go, then his firstborn is going to die. And so a warning given to him. And, of course, we're going to see that Pharaoh is going to continue to harden his heart as Moses goes to him. But verse 24, we read it. And it came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met him, that is uh, Moses, and sought to kill him. And then Sipporah, 
Sapporo, I'll get it out, took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. And so he let him go, and then she said, You are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. Now you read these and, and you think, What was that all about? You know, things seem to be kind of cool right now with Moses. You know, God has been ministering to Moses. Moses, you know what? I'm going to be with you. And you tell the children of Israel, I am who I am, that I am has sent you. I'll be everything that they need. You know what? I'm going to work signs through you. They're going to, to heed your voice. You don't have to worry about your slow speech. I'll have Aaron to be a mouthpiece. I'm with you. I'll tell you what to say. Moses goes to Jethro, you know, and says, I need to go. And so he packs up his family. He's on his way. And all of a sudden, in these three verses here, that God sought to kill Moses. And in this, it seems kind of mysterious. Why was God doing that? And, you know, his wife, Sapporo, she knows what's going on. And so she takes a stone and circumcises, you know, one of his sons and throws the foreskin at Moses and, and says, you know, you're a husband of blood because of the circumcision. So apparently she kind of knows what's going on here. And what seems to be happening here is you look at this, that Moses did not keep the covenant of circumcision as given in Genesis chapter 17 and did not circumcise one of his sons. So she understands what's going on. She takes the stones, circ- you know, cuts the foreskin off and throws it at him and says, you're a you know, husband of blood because of the circumcision. But apparently, she being a Gentile did not like the circumcision, didn't want her son to be circumcised, and so Moses didn't do it. I think there's a very important principle here for us. Moses is about ready to go and do a very awesome ministry, isn't he? I mean, he's about ready to lead, God said, my son out of Egypt. He's going to lead two to three million people out into the wilderness and towards the promised land. It's going to be a ministry that's going to last for 40 years. Moses, you've been herding sheep. Now you're going to herd my sheep. That is, you're going to lead my sheep out of Egypt into the wilderness wandering. And we're going to see over the next months here as we go through Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy that it was an incredible ministry that Moses had. Awesome responsibility. I don't know how he did it. We'll learn some things on how Moses was able to do it because he learned to rely on the Lord. But the principle is this. Moses, you're about ready to go and lead my people out of Egypt, but your house is not in order. And if any of us want to be involved in ministry, whether it's here or anywhere else, the important principle is you want to be used of the Lord, you want to minister to his people, then your house better be in order. Moses, you have not done what I've told you to do, what you're to do to your children. How are you to minister to my children as you lead them and guide them? You've ignored what I've told you to say. An important principle for any of us that wants to minister is that our homes need to be in order. One of the qualifications of an elder in 1 Timothy chapter 3 is that your homes, your children are to be in submission And so it's very important, and we need to understand that. For me to be able to be effective in ministry, my house needs to be in order. And I am very thankful that I have a wife that supports me and allows me to do the things that I do, that my children love the Lord, and they love coming here. But I have responsibilities to my family, and if I you know, neglect those responsibilities, I can't come here and minister to you effectively. 
Do you understand? The best thing that I can do for my family is have a strong church. The best thing that I can do for the church here is have a strong family that loves the Lord. And so that's why I ask for your prayers because Satan knows that and he'll come and he'll attack me and my family in any way that he can. And then he'll come and attack the church and then my family and then the church any way that he get in the foothold into my ministry, into your ministry. And that's why those who are on the front lines of ministry, you need to pray for the families and pray for their marriages because Satan knows that if he can get a foothold in the home, that he can take the ministry away. And so very important principle that we see here. That's why we need to be praying for one another again and praying for our families and marriages and for our children because it's a difficult thing, especially in this day. And unfortunately, I have known ministers that, that, you know what, they had dynamic ministries. They had huge churches, but their families were a mess because the, the ministry just sucked them away from ministering to their family. And there's always a meeting that I can go to. There's always another counseling session that I can be scheduling. There's always something that I, that I can be doing because as the ministry grows, there's more people, and I can feel bad because it's hard for me to get to everybody. But I can't ignore my responsibilities to my wife and to my kids. And everybody else will want time. And you guys know, you guys that have been here, I hope you know that I believe in working hard. And I'm here. I'm not around, you know, goofing off, you know, four or five days a week and then just show up when it's service. That I am in my office. And for 12 years, taking one day off a week. But there are times I need to be with my family and minister to them. And I don't want my family ever to feel, my wife or my kids, that everything else was more important than them. Which means I need to spend time with them. And love them and minister to them. And so here is... Moses, he ignored the responsibility that he had to his family. He didn't do what God told him to do. And so it's something that, that we need to constantly be aware. If you want to be involved in ministry in any sort, whether it's ministering to others or leading a Bible study or whatever, make sure that you don't ignore your responsibilities to your family because it's very, very easy to do. And so Moses here, after that was was done and Verse 27, the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness and meet Moses. So he went and met him on the mountain of God and kissed him. So Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him and all the signs which he had commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs in the sight of the people. In verse 31, so the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked on their affliction, that they bowed their heads in worship. And I'm sure that, that Moses at this time here, he's thinking, whoosh, Sigh of relief, isn't he? Kind of in a way. Yes, I've gone to the children of Israel. Aaron spoke to them. You know, here's the rod. It turns to a snake. I pick it up. It's a rod again. Leper's hand. It's clean again. Here's some, you know, water. It turned to blood. Do people see the signs? Yes, God has visited us. He's heard our cries. He's thinking, great, everything's going to be fine. Okay. I'm going to go meet Pharaoh. And I'm sure he's feeling good at this time, but he's going to see that it's not going to be easy. 
And the reason that I mention that to you, because as you get involved in ministry, and as we're talking about principles of ministry, and whatever you do, it's not always easy. And there are times where things are great, and God is working, and you see the signs and all that. There are other times where we're going to see that Moses is going to go to the Lord, as we'll go through chapter 5 very quickly and say, Lord, what is going on? This isn't the way it's supposed to be. But you hang in there. You hang in there. You keep trusting the Lord and being obedient to him. So afterwards, in chapter 5, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. And so we see here that Pharaoh denies permission for the children of Israel to lead Egypt. And so Pharaoh says, Who is this God, that I should obey him? That's going to be the response of the world. Remember that. When we talk about righteousness and standing for righteousness, the response of the world is, who is this God that you're talking about? Why should I believe him? That's going to be a response of the world. So Pharaoh here, he's saying, I, should, I don't need to heed his voice. Pharaoh at this time, he saw himself as a God. But Pharaoh is going to see that he is no match for the God of Israel, the true and living God. And so we read in verse 3, So they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. And then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why have you taken the people from their work? Get back to your labor. And so Pharaoh said, Look, the people of the land are many now, and you make them rest from their labor. Moses and Aaron, why are you asking for three days to go out there in the wilderness? You're keeping the people from their work. So their request to go out and worship is denied. They're idle. They need to work. And so he's going to make a decree here that he's going to make it harder for the children of Israel to keep them more busy. Have you ever ran into that problem? You know, you you have a job or you're working and, and there's people that say, why do you go to church on Wednesday night? I mean, you go to church on Wednesday night over there at Calvary Chapel and you go through the Bible and you're going through the Old Testament? They don't understand that. If you really want to be successful, you need to work harder and longer. And and there are those things that will come at us and tempt us to draw us away from the Lord where we think, i got to work more. And I know that's happened in my life. There was a time in my life a long time ago, years ago, I remember I thought, you know, I'm going to get into real estate. So I got my real estate license. Now, if you're in real estate, please, this is nothing against real estate or the business or, or selling real estate, but I was terrible at it. I hated it. After six months of getting my real estate and working for a broker, I was the leading lister in the office. And they gave me a parking place. And, you know, I was the new kid on, you know, that was going to bring them in business. And I hated it. I hated it. I used to sit on the corner not wanting to go to work. Sue didn't know. She was pregnant with Barbara, you know, nine months, you know. Didn't know that dad was sitting on the corner like this. I don't want to go in the office. I just hated it. And part of the reason was because I just I was, remember just praying, Lord, I just, I just want to serve you. That's, I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's just sweeping the sidewalks at church. I want to know you more. And I remember my broker saying, if you want to go to the next level, you need to work on Sundays. You need to work in the evenings and stuff. And I said, uh-uh. So one day I came home with a box with my office stuff in the box. 
Barb, you know, Sue's nine months pregnant with Barbara, and I no longer have a job. A couple of weeks later, I was, you know, I had a job mowing lawns and things like that, and God took care of it. You know, when you say, and I know that some of us have to work on Sundays, and some of us work in evenings, and some of you have businesses, and you work hard. But the world's going to come along and say, you know what? You don't have time to worship. You don't have time to go to Bible study. You don't have time to go to men's study. You don't have time to do these things. You don't have time to worship the Lord. You don't have time, you know, to, to have devotions, you, you know, with your family. Whatever it is, the world will come along and try to distract you. You're idle. You know, it's a waste of time. But it's not a waste of time. And it's in your heart, as you make it a priority in your life, that, you know, I'm going to be ministering to my family and, and I'm going to be in fellowship with the brethren when I can. That God's going to honor that and he's going to take care of you as well. And so verse 6, on the same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers saying, you shall no longer give to the people straw to make brick as before let them go and gather straw for themselves and you shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they made before you shall not reduce it for they are idle therefore they cry out saying let us go and sacrifice to our God let more work be laid on the men that they may labor in it and let them not regard false words and so the taskmasters of the people and their officers went out and spoke to the people saying thus says Pharaoh I will not give you straw go get yourself straw where you can find it yet none of your work will be reduced in verse 12 so the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw and the taskmasters forced them to hurry saying fulfill your work your daily quota as when there was straw in verse 14 also the officers of the children of Israel whom Pharaoh taskmasters had set over them were beaten and were asked why have you not fulfilled your task in making bricks both yesterday and today as before and so Pharaoh says, you guys were provided straw. They would use that straw to make the bricks. You have to now go because you're idle and, and have more responsibilities, more to do. Go get your own straw. And so the people were scattered, and they're trying to collect straw, and they're getting stubble. It's interesting. In some of the excavations, you can go to the London Museum, and you can see where they've excavated it at Ramsey's, bricks that had straw in it, bricks that had stubble in it, bricks that didn't have any straw in it. Confirming exactly what the Bible says. You keep the quota, you got to go out and get your own straw. The people are going, what's going on here? They're scattered, they're more busy. They're trying to keep their quota. Verse 14, the taskmasters that said over them were beaten and were asked, why have you not fulfilled your task in making bricks? Let me tell you, the world and Satan is a terrible taskmaster. Will you remember that? That's why we're told not to have a love for the world because it's a terrible taskmaster that will beat you up. And if you're one that has a tendency to be enamored or sucked into the things of the world or whatever, it's going to beat you up. It's a terrible taskmaster, and it will get worse. It will get worse. It will get worse. And so verse 15, Then the officers of the children of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh, saying, Why are you dealing thus with your servants? There is no straw given to your servants. And they say to us, Make bricks, and indeed your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle, idle. Therefore you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. And verse 18, Therefore go now and work, for no straw shall be given you. 
yet you shall deliver the quota of bricks. And the officers of the children of Israel saw that they were in trouble after it was said, you shall not reduce any bricks from your daily quota. In verse 20, And then as they came out from Pharaoh, they met Moses and Aaron who stood there to meet them. And they said to them, Let the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us abhorrent, or that is, stink before, in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a sword to their hand and to kill us. Things are worse now. Things are worse now. And so, you know what? Moses and Aaron, their name is mud right now. So verse 22, Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it that you have sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. A couple more thoughts, and then we're going to wrap it up and be done. Moses and Aaron, all of a sudden, they're seeing what Pharaoh can do. The next chapter, the Lord's going to say, okay, you guys have seen what Pharaoh can do. Now you're going to see what I can do. And maybe you're here tonight and you're being obedient to the Lord. You're doing your best to follow after the Lord and live close to Him. But things aren't working out and the world's coming against you and Satan, he's beating you up. You know what the thing is? Now you get to watch what the Lord is going to do. And you do what Moses did. He went to the Lord. And Moses is going to learn that to go to the Lord when he's faced with these challenges and difficulties and you do the same thing. Moses is the man with the flat nose. Because we're going to see he was the one that was always on his face before the Lord in prayer. It reminds me of David, 1 Samuel chapter 30. Running from Saul all those years, he's in the area of the Philistines. The Amalekites come, and as David and his mighty men are, are off, all of a sudden they come and take all their spoils, all their possessions, take away their families. They come back, their homes are burning, their families are gone, their possessions. And David's men were so upset at David, they said, enough of this. We've been running in the wilderness from Saul with you. We've been faithful to you, but we're going to stone you, David. They were ready to stone David. And it says, David, what? Strengthened himself in the Lord. And then he heard from the Lord. You strengthen yourself in the Lord if you're here and you feel like my name is mud. Or things aren't going so right, but I'm doing what the Lord has told me to do. You go to him and be strengthened. And the Lord then told David what to do, just as he's going to tell Moses what to do. Moses, you're going to see what I can do now to Pharaoh, you're going to see that I'm much bigger and more awesome, more powerful. Quit being so focused on Pharaoh and being, you know, you know, uh, you know, you see him as being awesome. See me as the one that is awesome now because I'm going to work and it's the same with us because we can get on the circumstances, our eyes on it and focused on it, and we think this is big and awesome and huge. But the Lord is saying, you get your eyes on me because I'm more awesome and I'm bigger and I can work and see me work. And I'll see you through. And so, Father, we thank you for these truths that are given to us that we can just trust in you and rely on you. And so, Father, we do come tonight, and I thank you that you do have your word and promises given to us that are true for us and that you are the awesome, true God that is God Almighty, as you're going to declare to Moses here, as we will see in the next chapter. You are God Almighty. There is nothing, no situation that we face that you can't work in. So, Lord, tonight as we close, I just pray that you just be with us in whatever we may face, that, Lord, we think, Lord, the situation is big. And it's overwhelming me. 
and the taskmasters of the world and Satan are coming against me. You stay close to the Lord. And Lord, I know that you're going to work. We come in faith knowing that you love your people and you're with us. And you promise to work for good for all who love you or who are called according to your purposes. The Lord, that we would strengthen ourselves in you. So I pray that you bring comfort to those who need comfort tonight. That you give direction to those who need direction. Lord, that you give encouragement and joy to those who need to be uplifted. Perhaps they are discouraged and in despair. Lord, I pray that you would be ones that you would provide for those who have need. That you would be one that you bring healing to those who need healing. Physically, perhaps. Spiritually spiritually, emotionally, that, Lord, that you would be one that would speak to our hearts, that, Lord, every day of our lives, that we would look to you and trust in you. And, Father, I pray that as you speak to your people, that, Lord, as you call us, whatever it might be, however you gifted us, wherever you planted us, that we would never be unwilling 